Greetings, trainers. We are just one week away from Sword and Shield, but in the meantime, welcome to Soundproof. My name is Brendan Lewis. I go by Mr. B Dog 46 on the internet, and I am joined, as always, by Jake Muller. Of course, he goes by Major Bowman on the internet, and we're here with Hi. episode 10 of Soundproof. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but we've got a little bit more ultra series that we're going to keep on chugging <laughs> through here before you all dive into your. Uh, well, I'm leak proof. I don't know, or leak leak free, spoiler free. I don't know about you guys, but I am too. Actually, I've somehow stayed safe. Good on you, Twitter. Good on you. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe you just haven't gone on Twitter, but I've been on Twitter, and yeah, and leaks have been relatively so. So, thank you, Pokemon community. If you're listening to this and you haven't posted spoilers, thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but we are here in episode ten as we're finishing strong here in the Ultra series. We've got. A couple of majors that took place since our last episode, and as always, we will kind of shoot through the ladder. We're going to avoid uh, locals, I believe, this week, Jake, yeah. for the sake of time and for the sake of kind of like spotty reporting and availability of results. So um, let's just say that from now on, if you want your <laughs> if you want your local featured <laughs> on our show, you have to tweet it at us. You do a little bit of work, we'll we'll put oh, it we'll okay. put you on the I show. Like that. Okay, we get some engagement on Twitter. I love I can, engagement. I'm down with that. <laughs> All my friends are getting engaged. Oh. <laughs> um, so we are on dash dash 10 here this week, um, which we have a good slate, one that I'm particularly excited about that's about a week late as far as its you know seasonal relevance. Um, but one of Jake's favorites is also featured heavily this week. So, <laughs> so good, good slate for us here. I think he's alluded to it multiple times. Um, but starting off as we dive, we continue through the first kind of row of Kanto Pokemon here is, of course, Caterpie. Caterpie, yeah. Uh, a lot of my, like, associations with Pokemon that aren't competitively relevant are from the anime, and I just remember, like, Misty being absolutely terrified of a Caterpie in one of the very early episodes. Misty was so really mean funny. to Caterpie. Misty's mean to most people, wasn't she? <laughs> Well, I think in the anime, she was always kind of, like, mean, and then they kind of, yeah. like, when they brought her back... Well, in the first episodes, a couple seasons of the anime, I don't know if I said that, but then when they brought her back, they were like, look, she's nice now, and she has yeah. a Mega Gyarados. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but she hated the bugs and everything, and then poor yeah. Caterpie, when it went through its, like, three-stage evolution arc in, like, ten minutes on the show, which was <laughs> fun. But number 110, the moment we've all been waiting for, is... <laughs> Wheezing. Yay, I love wheezing. I don't really know why. I well yeah, I, I don't really know, know why. why either. <laughs> well it's because I love James. Like Okay. James is my that. favorite character in the show and he had that was his like first signature Pokemon was that wheezing. I uh, that. and also I love the color purple. And okay. also I can relate to coughing and wheezing because I'm sick all the time. Uh and so I can appreciate the wordplay. Because you're there. filled with hot air. That too. Yeah, I emit <laughs> a lot of smoke. I'm bad for the environment. Uh, I have a second head growing off my left side. It's just all these things that I can so relate to all. wheezing. Yeah, I know. No, that, no, only I do, and that's why I love oh, wheezing. Oh, I'm sorry. Got, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm it's, so, I won't talk about my second head then today. <laughs> it's also um, just like an old mon that I've, like, it's always been around, and it's always been, you know, somewhat present in some tiers and some competitive formats. So, uh, it's cool. I like wheezing a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool Pokemon. Like, absolutely zero relevance competitively. But, Jake, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about Galarian wheezing if you want to oh. talk about it real oh. quick. Oh. I'm kind of surprised oh. you didn't dive right into it here, but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, okay. Who. 
if you don't like Galarian Weezing, I need Hat. you to block me on all forms of social media immediately because I do not want Hat. you in my life. Hat and also Hat. like the colors are great. Black and that like kind of lime greenish look amazing together. And also Hat. it's literally beating climate change. Like, hello. What else do we need from a Pokemon? Take it's that, purifying boomers. the air. <laughs> <laughs> boomers are quaking in the sight of Galarian Weezing. <laughs> Yeah, I think Larian Weezing is cool. Uh, it's It was kind of interesting, you know, as far as what's been revealed so far, and again, we're spoiler-free here, that they kind of, like, forced a fairy typing onto Weezing, and then all these other things that, like, feel like they should be fairies, like <laughs> Galarian Ponyta, are not. Um, hey, but, you know, Poison Fairy is a unique typing. And we, we certainly take those. The abilities need to. Anyway, that's yeah. enough time about, well, this this is the Weezing episode this week. There we go. Um but 210, of course, is Grand Bull, and we kind of discussed sort of the forgettability of Snubble, I believe, during, believe during our last episode. And Grand Bull is arguably even more forgettable than Snubble is. <laughs> it's kind of funny, because in, in Pokemon Go, the like PvP format I'm playing right now, Charm users are really good. Yeah. Uh, and Grand Bull is one of two like actually relevant Charm users in the format. But yeah. it's like so much worse than Ninetales, Alolan Ninetales, that like, Grand Bull itself is like the second best at something and still entirely forgettable. So yeah, it's like, I don't really know what think, else you can give it to I try just to help feel it like out. Even, even aside from competitively, just like the design is forgettable. And I felt this way about, um, Oh, what a uh, bear tick where it's just like, it's like a bear. Okay. And it has icicles on its face and that's it. And it's yeah. like, there's no <laughs> other like notable design features. It's just like grand bull is like a dog and uh, it has a big um, underbite. Yeah, and that's same. it. Like, there's, there's like the, like the whole bottom half. Like, if you cut it off at the head, there's just literally no design. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They just took a abs- dog and yeah, made it stand it's just, up. Yeah, it's just a dog. It's pink dog. Speaking of dogs, um, though, we have a. Minetric. Speaking of dog, we have an actually good dog. Uh, <laughs> Minetric is actually one of my favorites. Okay. Um, which is interesting, and in, uh, in the sense that it would not be what one might consider to be my aesthetic. Uh, as far as Pokemon go, I'm like a lot into the goofy, the cute and the goofy things. And Minetric <laughs> is just like cool, sleek dog thing. But I was a big, obviously, Hoenn fanboy. And the one thing I always remember about Minetric is that, like, when I was playing through Ruby, it learns a whole bunch of cool moves. So if you have, oh, like, an Electric yeah. or a Minetric, you can just eat it into the cool contest and you have, like, no way of losing. <laughs> That's how Skarmory was, too, actually. Yep, I remember. Yep, yep. If you, like, especially if you kept the Steelwing TM from the cave in Duford right? and you taught it. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So that's what I remember. And Minetric was also <laughs> on the the first ever VGC team that I brought to a regional in 2015. So it was it has actually a, has a uh, special place in my heart. I went to one regional in 2013, but in 2014, uh, the first two I went to had Mega Minetric too. So it was on my second team. <laughs> so he's a good dog. Yeah, he's a good dog. Uh, 410 is uh, Shield on, which really means nothing for me i think we were doing we did Rampardos last week yeah. and then uh what's what's the other one cranidos the week cranidos, before yeah. i really just feel nothing towards the the fossils in this generation see i this might be a hot take but i think the gen 4 fossils are some of the best interesting because i i love like i talked about well, Rampardos last week that. it's really cool <laughs> Uh, and i like honestly i think bastiodon is a really cool design like it's literally just a, a wall like it's an it actual is. wall that walks. <laughs> it is a walking wall. Yeah, and, and Shieldon looks right? cool too. Like, say what? Bastionon's good in Go. 
Uh, it's very, yes. It's one of the best PvP Pokemon in Go, which is strange to me, but that's, you know, what's happening, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because it's not good in anything else. No, yeah. But I don't know. I think they're... I'm talking aesthetically, obviously, not competitively, but I think they yeah, look it's okay, really cool. I have to and... think of what... I think Archaeops is really cool. I'm trying to think of what the other fossils are. Were there Gen 6 fossils? Yeah, um, Amora and... Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aurorus um... and um, what's the other one? Uh, Tyrantrum. That's oh, actually. Yeah. I'll give you those that. Those are both really. Those cool, are actually, actually. I think those yeah, are actually better. That's a good. Generation. Gen four might be second then. <laughs> okay. I will have to think about that. Anyway, uh, five ten this week is Lyperd, and uh, six ten is. <laughs> yeah, really. Lyperd is just kind of like infamous in my mind now because I I swear I always thought it had a, a normal typing. <laughs> nope. Silly nope. Brendan. Anyway, yeah, I don't really. I have nothing else to add about Lyperd. Lyperd <laughs> boring. Uh, six ten is Axew, which is a, I think it's a cool Pokemon. I think that line yeah. is actually kind of neat. Um, I was reading somewhere recently something about how, um, uh, Haxorus was designed by like a, a female game designer, which is like something that's a little unconventional over in mm -hmm. Japan at the time, I guess. And then they kind of like designed the evolutionary line in reverse. So oh, okay. it like like somebody designed Hexorus and then they like went back and designed Fracture and Axie, which yeah. I thought was kind of cool. I like that Axie is like adorable, and then it evolves into this like badass monster yeah, Hexorus monster thing in the anime. Axie, is, I was it's, about it's, to say that it's, it's also really really cute in the anime. It uses dragon sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, which was the one I was most excited to talk about this week. Again, we're about a week late for it, but it is Pumpkaboo, yeah. which is actually one of my favorites. I think it's adorable. All the way down to the like cute little cry that it has, which is just like <laughs> perfectly fitting for it. I don't care for Gorgeist, but Pumpkaboo really? is really cute. Really cute. I do. I think they are cute. But like both of the Grass Ghost families from Gen 6 are really good. Like I think we already did. Uh, yeah, Tremonent, we did. But... Right. Yeah. I think they're I, both I, good, I like but I think, both, that, yeah. I think that Pumpkaboo is like easily the best of the four. Fair enough. I'll give you that. Sure. Thank you. You're going to let me have that one. <laughs> All right, so that's so that it for this to week. The yeah. latter this week, we're going to zoom right through it because okay, I mean, a lot of this we've seen before. <laughs> Do you say, okay, Zoomer? Is that what you just said? Yes. This is, uh, I can't work like this. <laughs> Hostile working environment or whatever you call it these days. I never claimed that it wasn't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, first on the ladder this week is the latest iteration of Kangtorn, which has Tapu Koko and Incineroar in addition to Xerneas Groudon. Um, this is one that I saw a little bit at, at like before Amoongus was kind of like slapped in as the staple last mon, but I think Coco's a cool addition there. Didn't Ashton use this at NAIC? No, he had or was Metagross. it Metagross? Yeah. Okay, you're right. I think he had Metagross over Kangaskhan, but the yeah, same yeah. five, yeah. Because it's the GOA Coco. I don't know if it is oh, on this yeah. team, but Ashton right. had the GOA Coco. Mm -hmm. um, at two on the ladder is uh, Zerndon, Salamence, Tapufini, and Cineroar and Amoongus. And at this point in Ultra Series, we all know what that does. Right. <laughs> uh, so a little bit more interesting on the ladder, and I was talking to Jake briefly about this. Uh, the team is Rayquaza, Palkia, Tapu Koko, Tapu Lele, and Cineroar, Stakataka. And I have played this like multiple times on the ladder. And every time I see it, I just don't think Trick Room Palkia. <laughs> so then it's like Palkia, and then they like switch in Stack Attacka, and then with Rayquaza in the back, like it's really hard to beat. <laughs> Sounds like, like you're it, just bad. If you allow Trick Room to go up, really spooky. 
Uh, I never again have not claimed to not be bad, so let's let's just let's just Fine. keep all of our like let's it's, keep it's everything like, in mind here. It's not much fun to burn you when you just turn around and say, "Well, yeah, you're right." Do you want me to be more offended? <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll try harder next time. Okay. Uh, at four on the ladder is Spain rain, uh, and Jake actually just wrote that in on our on our. I just I here. couldn't be bothered to type out those mons again. I've done it so many times over the yeah. last month or so. Again, if you need uh, a like, refresher, it's Rayoger Coco. Incineroar, Kartana, Nihiligo. And but... again, I think we've said it, but it's effectively the defining Rayogre team of the yeah. format at this point. Um, at five, speaking of Rayogre, is uh, Tepakoko, Incineroar, Crobat, and Ferrothorn. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, fine. I the, <laughs> the thing that always gets me about Crobat and Ferrothorn is they've always felt like the laziest Zern checks to me and like don't always function as well as they right. should. Um, yeah. But you know, people have had success, especially with Crobat recently, which is now like a standard mon on Xerneas Lunala. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, next team on the ladder is Groudon Lunala, Salamence, Tapufini, Incineroar, and Bisharp. And that's something I've actually seen quite a bit of, and it's just kind of like, you know, that team, and you choose, you know, where you want to have your Eveltal counter. And, you know, Bisharp does that as well as anybody. You can switch it into Snarls. Uh, it still takes kind of a lot of damage from foul play, especially if you give it a boost, but it's, yeah. you know, obviously checks Eveltal pretty well. Yeah, I don't hate it. Like, I think the theme, especially in the early episodes of this podcast, was playing the, is this a Eveltal matchup with Luna Dawn teams? So, yeah, Feeny and Bishar both kind of do the same things. Not same yeah. things, but they both kind of fill that role. In the sense that they check Eveltal, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, next team on the ladder, Groudon, Eveltal, Metagross, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Mimikyu, which is something we've seen quite a bit of since it topped forward worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I play this team, uh, they lead Tapu Koko and Metagross and double into a Groudon slot, and then if you quick protect, you win. <laughs> <laughs> Good um, to know. <laughs> I've like had that happen like so many times where like the answer to Groudon that team is either to like win a Groudon speed tie or you lead Metagross Tapu Koko and try and catch the double target on turn one. That's all it does. <laughs> does Tantrum even do half? Uh, well, it's GOA Coco. That's oh, how they okay. get you. Yeah, I see. Um, so they GOA and and if if you catch that, then you win the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Next team on the ladder, Groudon, Necrozma, Donwing, Salamence, Tapulele, Incineroar, and Stack Attacka. And uh, I feel like we're kind of at the point in the format, and maybe it's because we're in the dying days, but it seems like Necrozma is like on the rise at this point. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll cover that when we talk about um, oh, Richmond. Uh, Richmond, yep. Yeah, but uh, Necrozma seems like it's kind of coming back. Like, this is essentially the, the Tommy team with Incineroar instead of Smurgle. Right. Uh, which is probably a fair swap if you wanted to adjust that team a little bit but i don't know it feels like there wasn't really a great reason that it kind of fell off like tommy won a regional with it and i think yuri like won or got second or something he did well with it right after that and obviously Um, got second at worlds oh yeah right (laughs) yeah so yeah no i agree with you that you know there wasn't necessarily i mean i think we had a pretty in-depth discussion with tommy about what it's yeah good and bad matchups were and it got to a point where people were teching for it um so i guess maybe that's the reason that it started mm-hmm. to show back up but it's hard to find answers to it like uh incineroar being the main answer to like sitting in front of tapulele and dawn wings and even then people have been teching to knock out incineroar be it a Selgor or like tommy was using helping hand smeargle yeah. all these ways that you can kind of like boost the uh nature's madness lele too helps yep yep definitely 
Um, so yeah, Necrozma uh, again in the next team, except it is Duskmane alongside Groudon, Salamence, Tapufini, Incineroar, and Porygon 2. Because... <laughs> As opposed okay. to Porygon 3? As opposed to Porygon 5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... One of the first times we've seen P2 this year, I think, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, we've seen it uh, a couple times on ladder, and every time kind of like scratched our heads while we read it off yeah. the sheet. Um, I mean, it's it's just kind of like it, it, it you put recover trick room, and then you get to choose two attacks is like effectively what it does. So, right. I mean, I guess you get option uh, access to like a foul play, a shadow ball, ice beam, thunderbolt. Uh, Toxic even. Yeah, any sort of like, like it has all this coverage that you can use to hit certain things but it's not really doing like if you want to put foul play on there to hit lunala like i wonder if you're even two hit KOing it like you probably aren't i have no idea <laughs> anyway just thinking out loud there uh next team on the ladder is kyogre veltal mawile tapulele kartana and gothitelle i am amazed by the fact that someone not only thinks mawile is a pokemon but also thinks gothitelle is a pokemon and in the year like 2019 it's safe to approach matchups with Eveltal is your only crowd on check. Um, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, oh man, yeah. Yeah, Gothma, I mean, I don't know. Um we've seen I think Goth Gothsell and Mawile have been officially revealed to be in Sword and Shield, correct? I don't know. I haven't followed I that. I think super they've closely. both been in the trailer. Yeah, I believe I'm pretty you. sure they I'm pretty sure they have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have. Gothsell will probably be good in that. So if you like Gothma, uh wait a week. And then you can revisit. Well, that. not Mawile. Mawile's done. Well, Mega Mawile is done. If you want to use yeah. regular Mawile, why bingo. would you ever? Okay, move on. The Gothmaw fans of the world. <laughs> the next team on the ladder is Groudon, Lunala, Salamence, Tapufini, Incineroar, and Jumpluff. And I think Jake, you said this was Gavin playing it on his main. Yeah, on the King of Mars account. I think. Yeah, I mentioned a few minutes ago, like playing the. Is this an evil tall matchup game? And I guess Gavin decided that Jumpluff is his evil tall matchup. Sleep powder is the evil tall matchup. <laughs> yeah, and he actually he got rid of the uh, the Snorlax that was on it. Which slot was that in the Feeny slot? I uh, I don't remember. I Probably don't remember. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would but... think uh, maybe not. It could be in the Incineroar. I don't know. Um. Anyway, <laughs> next team on the ladder is Ho, Kyogre, Gengar, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Persian. Now, is that a Lolan Persian, Jake, or is that regular? Persian? Yes, sorry, oh, that okay. is a Lolan. I was, oh, regular Persian. Somebody's getting <laughs> excited about Long Cat Meowth coming up in the next game. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot about Sword Shield. I'm pretty oh excited my God. about that. Long Cat. Long Cat. He tall. Disgusting. <laughs> he tall. Uh, the next team on the ladder here is. Well documented, Xerneas, Lunala, yeah. Lucario, Tapulele, Incineroar, Amoongus, which is definitely not the most popular Xerneas Lunala variant, but we'll touch on that as we go through. It Richmond. used to be, but I think it kind of progressed past there. Uh, yes, I think it did. Uh, the next team here is uh, Groudon, Eveltal, Metagross, Tapukoko, Incineroar, and Venusaur. That one's pretty familiar at this point. Yep. And then finally, that brings us to uh, Rayquaza, Necrozma, Duskmane, Tapukoko, Tapufini, Incineroar, and Suicune. The double fat water type kind of... Fini and Suicune. Yeah, kind of strikes me as like a do-nothing team if you're using yeah. both Fini and Suicune, but I don't know. I would imagine you would never bring them to the same game. But what... Is, what, is it know. just for Roar? Tailwind? Snarl? Okay, I guess I guess there are, there are niches, but yeah. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, it did well on the ladder. Like it's a cool restricted pairing. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I haven't seen the six before. Cool. <laughs> okay, uh, so we'll touch on the majors here. I know we've alluded to it a couple times, but first uh, we've got the uh, Richmond Regional, which is kind of steeped in controversy at the moment because nobody knows whether or not Top 32 is getting CP. <laughs> Apparently they have not been given CP, and there's like a campaign yeah. to get CP, so... I guess we'll find out within the next couple of weeks whenever all those tickets clear. But um, obviously the winner of the tournament uh, was a like a quote-unquote invader, although I'm told <laughs> that Nils also has ties to New Hampshire. Um, I'm pretty sure he's a citizen. That's what I've been Yeah, that's hearing. interesting. I actually didn't yeah. know that. Um, but if he's going to be in New Hampshire, he's going to be at my locals, which is a little bit scary. If he spends <laughs> any amount of time in the, to see him show up to MIT would be like something else. Yeah. Um, but he did win with that. Uh, Necrozma, Donwings, Groudon, Tepulele, Incineroar, Excelgore, and Stackataka. Excelgore obviously being kind of like the notable Pokemon there. Right, and it's pretty cool because you know, it outspeeds like literally everything after, well, even before uh, Unburden. It's one of the fastest Pokemon in the game. And after Unburden, it's still going to be faster than everything in Tailwind. It's going to beat out like Boosted Xerneas. Um, anything holding a scarf it's just monstrously fast and has a lot of cool options uh, final gambit struggle bug acid spray it combos really the, well with the i the think those were the, the three moves that nils was using right were those three yeah yeah but it also gets like encore um uh water shuriken spikes if you're, if you're really into you know boosting your palisade <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's kind of a cool pokemon that you you kind of wonder you know, in hindsight, given that we're at the end of the format, why you wouldn't have seen it next to things like Lunala or, mm -hmm. you know, even Xerneas because of how well it supports special attackers. Right, definitely. But anyway, he kind of like tore through the tournament here. Um, so uh, <laughs> have fun playing against that on the ladder. I swear. <laughs> Final Gambit mind games are like some of the worst things. And then you have to yeah. like start, start creeping ex uh, Excelgore's HP number and like, <laughs> dear God. Anyway, uh, the second... Uh, placed person who was deprived of his seventh regional narrowly, uh, which would have brought yeah. him into like the most regional wins ever, was Paul, who's also using uh, Necrozma, but the uh, Dusk main version alongside yep. Salamence, uh, Tapulele, Jump Pluff, and uh, Stack Attacka. So kind of similar compositions. Uh, they both kind of have like that like meme double your speed. Uh, sort of like a Neuer and then, you know, Lele, Psychic ground, uh, Offense with Groudon. So mm -hmm. you can kind of see, like, the, 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 the values in team building were somewhat similar. I heard that Paul's Necrozma was Dark Pulse, and I'm not entirely sure that's a correct rumor, but if it is, it kind of begs the question, why aren't you just using Dawn Wings <laughs> and using Moon Guy Speed? It was, so it was, it was Photon Geyser Earth Powered Dark Pulse? That's what I've heard. I am not entirely sure, but I heard like Dark Pulse Necrozma being thrown around. I think in Monarchs, and I don't know. Like, I guess if you just really want a Steel type, but you have Stack Attacka, so I'm failing to see why you would ever run Dark Pulse and not just use Dawn Wings. But I he has a team you. report out. Um, Jake, you take the rest of the episode. I'm going to go read Paul's team report. Oh my god. <laughs> um, Anyway, <laughs> uh, at third at this tournament was James Evans, who's uh, using kind of his like trademarked version of Kangtorn that features Hitmontop uh, and Amoongus. Mm -hmm. Hitmontop most notably being over the Incineroar there. So 
kind of an interesting edge in the mirror and obviously you know the benefits of fighting types are pretty well documented now especially with kangaskhan being a real pokemon and two stack attackers in the finals so there you go yeah um and then wolf was at fourth with groudon uh xerneas salamence incineroar smeargle and ditto so very similar to his farfetch team but sans farfetched <laughs> unfortunately the spiritual successor to Farfetch'd. <laughs> what, which what what was it? Smeargle is the spiritual successor to Farfetch'd. I Far-fetched? think so. Yeah. Is that There's the slot that it was in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as we round out top eight here, Cedric, who is our CP leader right now, and comfortably at this point, I think he's got like a hundred point lead at uh, oh, wow. on on Jeremy Odena as he continues to kind of like tear through late ultra here. Um, he's going to get a travel award, but he finished fifth here with uh, Rayogre, Gengar, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Celesteela, which is very similar to a lot of the stuff that he's been running in the early part of the season uh, with like a heavy parish element. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe UX9 at sixth. He's also secured his invite, I believe, using that Venusaur team that is absolutely bananas to try and play. I, like, I hate Venusaur. Just like, <laughs> get, it, get it off my screen. There are like three or four in, in top 16 here that got CP. Yeah. Um, at seventh is Jeremy Odena, who continues his early tour of uh, late Ultra series as he's racked up his invite. He's second in CP, and he's using his trademark team. So a lot of these players here in top uh, eight are just kind of going back to what's worked for them. And of course, his team is uh, Ray Ogre, Tapu Fini, Incineroar, uh, Togedemaru, and Stack Attacka. And then rounding out the top eight is George Tifferman, who is using Groudon, Necrozma, Duskmane, Salamence, uh, Tapu Lele, Umbreon, and Venusaur. So very similar to uh, Hiroshi's team, but with Venusaur yeah. over Kangaskhan. And I think you could put a lot of things over the Kangaskhan there. Most likely, yeah. The Salamence seems more important. Uh, I, it was interesting, like you mentioned, there are a few people that, I guess three in a row, and the first three you mentioned in top eight, they were all using their kind of patented teams. And so you know, we're getting, we're getting kind of we're late. Good. We could say it's even four. And... I think that has been what Wolf's using for quite a while, too. So okay. James, yeah. James, Wolf, Cedric, Joe, and Jeremy. Is that five? Five. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so not only are they just kind of falling back to old things that, you know, have worked throughout Ultra Series so far, uh, but they're still working. So, you know, clearly a good decision. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think we sort of discussed it in this in, in when we were talking to Blake about post-worlds, but in a sense, like, when there's minimal amounts of time left, and when people don't know what to expect out of, like, either a dying or, or changing meta, why not just fall back on what's safe? Like, yeah, you, exactly. you've got all this stuff that you're comfortable playing. Yeah. Um, but to touch on a couple of highlights uh, that's rounding out top 16 here, there is one more Venusaur, so a total of three Venusaur uh, in the top 16. We talked a little bit about uh, the new standard Xerneas Unala, which seems like what Zach Carlson has there in mm-hmm. uh, ninth place, which is Xerneas Unala, Kangaskhan, uh, Incineroar, Smeargle, and Crobat. And I believe Joey was also running the same thing, and he's kind of like, you know, leading the charge as far as XL meta development as we go here. Yeah. And then uh, our favorite team in the format at 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Keith will not let uh, the Mawile Como version of no. <laughs> King Torn die, and we have to keep hearing about it. Um, and and then, then there's a really cool team at 15th yes. with one of my favorite Megas, Gardevoir. It's weird to think that Mega Gardevoir was a win away from cutting a regional in 2019, but hey, I'm not going to complain. Here, like, I'm not, I don't understand what's going on there in the slightest, <laughs> but uh, yeah. 
like I looked at it when we were talking about it earlier and I was trying to figure out like what exactly it does that uh-huh. something else couldn't and I came up with nothing. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, rounding out what's going on here in the Richmond regionals. And again, stay tuned for top 32 CP if you're looking out for that. Um, it's, it seems likely that, you know, if enough tickets were submitted, we'll see some sort of revolution, uh, resolution, <laughs> <laughs> it's, Same or thing. revolution. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, the other, uh, major that we had was the Paris special event that occurred, uh, last weekend, this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, it was won by Calvonics who was using, uh, Xerneas Kyogre with Kang Torn, uh, Incineroar and Amoongus. Um, I think, is that the version that, uh, Steven Mia was running at Worlds? Is that, like, the standard version? Uh, of it? I think so, yeah. I think it yeah. is, right? And then yeah. James, James's version is just Carton over Kang, right? Right. Gotcha. Um, another Necrozma at, uh, number two. This team, I believe, is Paul Six, uh, which is, oh, no, no, no it's a different Necrozma, so there you go. Maybe that answers right. our question. <laughs> uh, Groudon, Necrozma, Dawnwing, so there's your Moonguise beam. Uh, Salamence, Tapulele, Stakataka, and Jumpluff. Yep. In third place uh, was a another version of just standard Kangtorn at this point with Incineroar Amoongus. Uh, that was followed by Eric Rios using the kind of standard Zerndon Parish team that was really popular like this summer. It kind of fell off a little bit, but it's actually in cut here twice. Yeah, Alex uh, has with, it at eighth, right? Yeah, top four with Eric and top eight with Alex. And again, those two using... The same teams in their tournaments and both doing well. It's kind of a theme uh, between right. the two of them now. <laughs> yep. Uh, at fifth place, as we go through the rest of top eight here, was... Uh, <clears throat> let me just scratch my eyes for a minute. Uh, <laughs> Groudon, Mewtwo, Manectric, Lele, uh, Whimsicott, and Jinx. Yes, that yeah, was undefeated in Swiss. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, like, uh... Mewtwo Lele is scary. I just don't understand what everything else, what else is going on there, I, right. I guess. Um, the uh, the sixth place team looks like the uh, uh, Agati version of XL yeah. with Kangaskhan, Ditto, uh, Tapu Koko, and Incineroar. And then at yep. seventh is, uh, it's that team that's been going around but with Tornadus over weirdly enough Rabombi Rabombi has been replaced <laughs> by Tornadus yeah uh, so it has uh, the Kyogre the Lunala the uh, Lucario Tapu Koko Tapu Lele and Tornadus so rip to the B yeah rip to the B but it, Tornadus is probably a little bit more reliable than Rabombi, probably I, <laughs> I would hope yeah <laughs> and again Alex Gomez rounding out top 8 with uh, Zerdon Parish mm-hmm. uh some other kind of interesting stuff throughout top 16 and 32 in this regional, but um, nothing as crazy as Gardevoir Ho-Oh. Um, we did have, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his username, but Hippolyte, who won... Um, uh, Red Silver, I think. Red Silver, yeah, that's yeah. it, with that Shedinja team. So um, kind of surprised. Actually, we didn't see more Shedinja here. Like, we know that Europe loves their Shedinja. Oh, there's one at 10th uh, there, but... Yeah. yeah, there's two in top 16, and then two more in top 32. Three more, sorry, in top so 32. There's a couple hanging around. Yeah. There's uh, also a Pachirisu, which... Oh, I thought that died. I mean, sure. I mean, it's not on Kangtorn. It's on... Well, it is on Kangtorn, but it has it's Ogre instead of Groudon. Interesting. Um, and okay. then Mega Mewtwo Mandibuzz. <laughs> uh, sure. I don't know, Rabambi. <laughs> Okay, Europe. 
Uh, I see an Excadrill. I don't know. There's some cool stuff there. There's also yeah. uh, Dialga uh, Eveltal that's there in, in top 16. True. Albert has a reputation for running stuff that's a little bit, we'll say, off meta. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, the top eight there, like a pretty standard, relatively standard assortment of teams, I would say. Stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. aside from Jinx, we've seen do well over the course of the format. And then uh it sort of evolves from there <laughs> we'll say right. as you go through the rest of top 32 yeah well i believe that wraps it up for half number one of our podcast we'll be sure right back with a really cool discussion about uh journalism and the surrounding topics uh with author jason krell who you've all known and uh, read some of our, his articles before, I'm sure. So yeah. stick and around. It's a really cool discussion we have with him. And you'll also uh, get uh, to hear me magically heal from my cold over the next couple <laughs> seconds, which is really exciting. Yes, this definitely wasn't recorded six days after we recorded with Jason. So if you're into <laughs> medical marvels, stay tuned. <laughs> Content consumers, we are here with Jason Krell again. My name is Brendan Lewis. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Major Bowman, Jake Muller, as usual, and of course, just to go over our internet names, I'm Mr. B Dog 46, and we are joined by Duelist X, who is our guest this week. And um, I'm gonna hand off to Jake just briefly, as he tends to do our introductions here. I don't want to step <laughs> on, you know, his only thing that he really has going for him right now. This, yeah, this is my entire <laughs> life is these little 30 second introductions. Uh, the Jason is uh, he's been around for a few years now. I know he kind of got into the scene in like 2015, 16, so. An uh, Arizona player went to all their locals uh, when they had them, you know, RIP Phoenix regional, not regionals, well, also regionals. Uh, but no, he's been around for a long time. He's done some commentary. He does a lot of writing. Uh, and that writing aspect is why we had him on today, because we did want to talk about journalism and its uh, place in the VGC community and elsewhere in uh, video games. So, yeah, welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you so much. And can I just say before we even get to the journalism, I'm so flattered to have ever be referred to by like my game name because I came to VGC bef- like after Nugget Bridge was kind of like in decline, so I never mm-hmm. was like known as Duelist X. I was always just like Krell, uh, uh-huh. and like that's you know, but but like I still respect you guys using it because even though no one would, like <laughs> recognize it or know it, it still is what you know. That's like my usual online handle, so I appreciate that. Well, now it's out there a little bit more, so maybe maybe you'll get it a little bit more. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. Uh, uh, so we have you know some talking points prepared, but I thought that uh, the day that we're recording here is kind of interesting in the sense that uh, the demise of Kotaku is nigh. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is not. It is not necessarily the demise. It is a there. There is a whole thing with that whole the, the Geo Media Group. Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems like Deadspin, at least, which is their like sports sister right, site. Right, right, right. That one yeah. seems dead. Like today, like five or yeah, six journalists rough. quit um, yep. in solidarity with their editor who was fired. Uh, and Kotaku just kind of there. No one's really sure what's going to happen um, <laughs> because the union is uh, taking a stand against what happened. So like they're I, I don't know. I don't talk. I haven't talked to these people. But like there could be a strike. They could be. They could also quit in solidarity. 
it's really unclear, but at the very least, this fu- the future of the site is uncertain. It, so it's the yeah the uh, first of all, Deadspin being gone is upsetting. I love Deadspin. It's like yeah, very modern and can be hard hitting at times, which is kind of a nice change from some of the other outlets that we usually that I usually you know consume sports content from. But anyway, yeah, that was I just thought it was kind of interesting given that you know the day that we're having you on recording this right now coincided with the day that you know <laughs> Kotaku has ongoings. Going we all know that Kotaku is a very beloved site within our uh, within our circles. So. Well, and what's what's <laughs> ironic, especially though, uh, especially when with VGC players who don't like Kotaku, is that <laughs> I part of me thinks they forget that like aside from I think one article about Worlds, I'm the only one who's ever really written anything about VGC for the site. So I I mean I don't know I I've always thought it was interesting. I don't take a lot of what they say personally, but you know, like when I see people saying like, Oh, VGC has been done wrong by uh, Kotaku. Like it very much feels like that means that I have done wrong. And I mean, you know, that's obviously one of the things I guess we're here to talk about, but, mm-hmm. um, but yes, I do know that it is not, it is not the most beloved site, but I do think that they do a lot <laughs> of good stuff. And I think a lot of it comes from misunderstanding about, the way journalism works, and and that's also, I think, a thing that we'll talk about today. Right. Yeah, so I think that's actually one of the first things that we want to just get into. And I know that there was kind of like a recent um, <clears throat> discussion, at, at least on Twitter. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put discussion in, in air quotes <clears throat> here. Um, uh, but that a, a lot of, like, the ethics of, of certain things that, you know, some of these websites do, or some of the larger, like, uh, journalism websites do, were kind of brought into question um you know, by some members of the community. So are there, I don't know, like any sort of basic tenets or any sort of like general overview that you can, you can give us as far as like journalism ethics and some of the things that, uh, you know, maybe some of the more topical aspects of it as well. Like what's the the Hippocratic oath of journalism? (laughs) Well, actually I'm glad you asked because there is something called the SPJ code of ethics. That's the society of professional journalists. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so another thing just to clear up, uh, because I don't think a lot of people, maybe a lot of people don't know, I'm currently in a master's program studying sports journalism. And uh, this was like something we learned starting day one. I had a whole class devoted to ethics uh, and learning you know, how to apply these, these four uh, rules. Well, not rules, but guidelines. So the first major, and they all kind of encompass larger things, but there's boiled down to these four main points. The first one is called Seek Truth and Report It. That seems pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the ultimate goal of journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is to minimize harm. Uh, obviously, sometimes you may harm people um, when you are reporting the truth because the truth is paramount to what you're doing. But you always want to do as little harm as possible, ideally not to innocent people. I mean, obviously, a lot of journalism is holding people accountable. So mm-hmm. it's not so bad when you if you harm some big co- company that, that's abusing people. But you don't want to harm... Uh, someone, you know, just some random person, not a public figure, things like that. Uh, the third tenet is act independently, which basically is kind of what this um, is going on uh, with Deadspin and Kotaku is about. And that is basically that no one dictates your coverage uh, except the journalists themselves. So like the problem mm-hmm. right now is that management is was telling Deadspin how they should, uh, what they should write about and what they can't write about. Um, and that can create all kinds of conflicts of interest that can damage the trust that people put in journalists to tell the truth. 
So that's why that's so important, and that's why they're fighting so hard over this. Uh, and then the last one is be uh, transparent and accountable, which is basically just to talk about the process, how you went about reporting. You know, be be quick to own up to mistakes, make changes, stuff like that, uh, and don't try to hide things. That's like one of the reasons why when sites make mistakes, they don't take down the story, or they shouldn't take down the story. They update it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you know it might be damaging, they need there needs to be that public record that yes, we made a mistake, and then here's what the steps we took uh, to finish it. And I guess you know when talking about my what happened with with my Polygon article, and I guess probably also the the Zoe uh, article, we'll probably talk about that too. I'm sure like that's part of what I think this is 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 hopefully me being transparent uh, and accountable and talking about ha- what happened with those stories. So that's yeah. Right. So those so, are the four so points those, of ethics. Yeah. So those those obviously make a ton of sense and apply to the to the wider uh, journalistic world, you know, as it is. But given that we're kind, of, you know, esports journalism specifically, which is obviously the area that you focus most into, is you know not necessarily uncharted territory per se. Given that you know esports has been around for a couple of years now, but it still is you know kind of growing, and you know coverages of of certain things are always kind of changing in a way that some of the sports and and you know general news coverages are not in the sense that you know it's very linked to online communities and things like that. So do you find there are, or are there any sort of like ethical pieces or any sort of additional practices that are kind of enforced as it applies only to esports journalism? Well, what I would say about ethics and esports journalism is not that there are additional considerations because honestly, I've, you know, we've studied this for I actually took two ethics classes or at least two classes that dealt with ethics and really like pretty much any situation you can get in falls under one of those four things. Mm-hmm. But what I have noticed in esports journalism is that because the people who are writing these stories and this content, because a lot of it, I mean, being frank, is not what you would think of as traditional journalism, which is more like reporting. It's a lot more, you know, like hot takes or personal opinions or analysis, which is like can be journalism, but isn't always. It's it's kind of a weird fine line. Um, but what I'm finding is that there this this understanding of ethics is not there or not there as much as it should be. And even myself before um, going into this master's program, I did not have as clear an understanding as ethics as I do now. And the reason that these people lack the understanding is because there is not a lot of money in esports journalism. And so people who have more training and have degrees and have experience are not going to go write for a website where they're getting paid $20, $30 an article. Like that's just not something they can do and, and like live off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they get young writers, hopeful writers who are willing to work hard for little pay, often in college or coming just out of college, or even just volunteering. And yeah, maybe they're in like a journalism program. Um, but or maybe they're just like fans who like l- know how to write fairly well. Um, or maybe they're not either of those things. And they're just, a you know, someone who wanted to do it. And they don't get they don't get this ethical training. And where it ends up being okay is because a lot of the time they're not really dealing with big ethical dilemmas. Like they're not talking about, they're not talking to people. They're not talking about people. And that's really like in the process of reporting, that is when you need to use your code of ethics. Uh, You know, if you're talking about someone made, um, you know, someone picked a hero in league of legends that you maybe like disagree with, 
like that you're not really going to need to like worst case maybe that's minimized harm like you, you know you don't want to lay into them too much and you want to treat them fairly but like usually you're not really using it but the problem is when they do kind of wade into these waters where they do start to do what's seen as more traditional journalism they don't have these same tools and yeah they're not always going to make that mistake but when they do or they do get into a hard situation they're not as sure what to do in the moment and then they're kind of blindsided when there's backlash to it and then they don't know how to respond after because the response is just as important as you know to a mistake is just as important as making it in the first place right so so i i guess my question in that sense um you know having heard that you know point about kind of lack of experience is that you know, even if the, the article, the, the, the writers themselves don't necessarily have the, the training or the experience or the knowledge about some of these, like, ethics or standards or codes or whatever, how do, you know, some of the articles that have ended up being pretty controversial, and, you know, not not just in VGC, but, you know, across the wider esports community, make it, you know, past editing on some of these, these sites that have kind of, you know, generated a bit of a name for themselves? Uh, well, I think it it boils down to a choice oftentimes in a lot of ways especially for the bigger sites that do have more money um like there's always a choice just these are these are guidelines they're not like hard fast rules sometimes you know you may have an ethical reason you know you may determine that like it's okay to kind of go against one of these guidelines um or this code of ethics if the situation calls for it you know or you may like realize that like um, you know, you're not really causing enough harm to warrant stopping, like killing the story. So, you know, there, there are these ethical discussions in, in occasion, uh, on these larger sites. Um, but the other problem is the nature of, um, journalism today has changed. So like in the past, and I've worked at, I worked at a print outlet in college. Um, I mean, it was my university, but it was run exactly like a professional print journalism. You know, we were a daily paper and the process there is reporters write the story, they get it in by a certain time, then it goes to the copy desk, and the copy desk's sole goal is to edit the story. Two people edit the story for grammar, uh, syntax, they look for potential flags like this, then it goes to the copy chief who reads the story again and kind of looks maybe more for these ethical issues and bigger structural problems. Then it gets put on the page by the designer and the editor-in-chief and the copy editor go over everything again. So that's like three or four layers of editing because at the end of the day, you just have to put out the paper by midnight or one. Like that's when you send it off to the printers. But in new media where everything is so online, the timeline is hyper-accelerated. You want to get your story up as soon as possible because there are a million more. Uh, and also financially because ad revenue has changed so much due to websites like Google and Facebook eating up all of the good ad revenue that, that news sites can't rely on that anymore. So they just have to go for volume. So it's changed the way that they approach these things. And there's not as much time for conversations about ethics as there was before. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one problem straight up. And then at smaller sites, editors just, they don't necessarily have any more training. I mean, I can't tell you how many articles I've read at these very small sites um well not necessarily very small but like like a clearly a step below like a multi-million dollar company like geo media right. um but you know how many stories i've read that like don't even have basic editing for like grammar or spelling or any of that stuff like mm. maybe they get a quick glance or the writer is like fairly competent and doesn't have any problems 
but like i i can't tell you like there's rarely a story where i don't find at least one thing wrong and when even that like basic level stuff is slipping through the cracks like i'm highly skeptical that there are conversations about ethics and really like that's not it's kind of like what you said. It's not all on the writer. It is like, that's what editors should be there for to protect, especially their young writers from making these missteps. Like that's part of the job of being an editor, but also editors are expensive. They require a lot of training. Those, especially those smaller sites don't even want to hire, like don't even want to hire them. I was working for upcomer an esports site as an editor made it three months before they, they, they let me go and kept on some writers who had then no editors to to oversee them. So like clearly the priority is not on on enabling editors to like nurture and protect the writers from, you know, into being better journalists and getting in avoiding trouble, you know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So kind of before that whole process, like I like it goes from the writer off to the editors and to whoever else and whoever publishes it. But like the very very beginning when the writer is thinking, uh, I want to write something about this event or this topic or something uh what makes for that like event or topic that makes a, like an actual good story because like in theory you could write about anything i guess if you really wanted to but like there's there's only going to be so many different kinds of things or like special events or like these random one-off occurrences that actually warrant a, a story that people are going to click on and read so right. i guess to make it more specific like i think one of the issues that was raised on twitter uh, during the latest journalism conversation uh, quote unquote was that like <laughs> yeah like some of these stories are like sensationalizing these random events and not covering like the actual news but like is wolf running like a 19th regional like actually news anymore or is are these like smaller things that don't happen very often like are those the only things that people really care about or care enough about right. to like read so it's this is definitely like that is considering these things it's like that's step one you know before you even write anything and yeah just to be clear for anyone who's listening um that is called finding the angle for the story like mm. there are there are a bunch of different ways to tell the story of any given event and so the first thing a journalist does is they find their angle now the first thing you have to do when you're figuring out your angle is consider your audience. And this is something that I think, especially I've noticed in the VGC community that there's no understanding of audience. So when someone is writing, and this is me as someone who's written for Kotaku Polygon, like big sites with a wide general gaming audience Mm -hmm. to places like Trainer Tower, or when I was doing the Saffron City Post for like that six months, like that's to a, a very core VGC audience. So if I'm writing to a VGC audience, I can absolutely just talk about Wolf winning his 19th regional and what an accomplishment that is, or talking about, you know, a particular Pokemon got a lot of CP, like CP for the first time um, and, and things like that. But if I'm writing to a general audience, the thing that I think VGC players don't understand is nobody, nobody outside VGC cares about VGC like inherently they just they just <laughs> right. they don't they don't care at all and what yeah. they care about is Pokemon uh, totally May, yeah they care about Pokemon maybe and that's what gets them in or they care about general human interest stories so mm-hmm. using the example of the car crash because that's what we're talking about here the the thing it, about the the regional was not that Kyle won his first regional uh, it was not that Kyle won his first regional against his um, 
his like one of his best friends you know yeah and who's who I, I don't know i guess like maybe since like we i get now i'm getting considering ethics like i don't want to name this person because like that you know that was kind of like the issue in the first place so right it was not against <laughs> yeah people know so like you know i i'm not avoiding it because i'm afraid to say it or anything i'm just trying to respect that person yeah. um the, the same way i tried to make up for that when i didn't in the article originally so it's not kyle winning his first regional it's not kyle winning against his friend it's not winning against his friend who he drove there with it was kyle winning the regional after getting into a very traumatic event which is a you know a car accident not yeah. getting any sleep and then ending up in the finals against a person uh who was in the same situation as him and yeah. to me, that's a story of, obviously there's trauma involved, but it's a story of incredible resilience. It's a human interest story. I mean, it is incredibly difficult to win a Pokemon event as it is, but to be able to do it after going through that kind of an experience, I think is extremely compelling. Uh, and I mean, it, it's not inspiring in the sense that like, you're going to inspire somebody to go out there and and go try to repeat that same process but it's inspiring in the sense that like this is an incredible player like he was able to overcome all this adversity and that i think is a good story it is a newsworthy story that's a term mm -hmm. we use is newsworthiness uh it is, does not happen often um and it's interesting and it's worth telling and yes you have to handle it delicately because these people did go through a trauma um but that's why once you figure out the angle then you address like okay how do i how do I handle this delicately? And so in this case, what I tried to do was to not talk about the, the crash itself very much, which if you'll notice, yeah. that's like the lead. Yes. Like the headline focuses that because again, uh, and we'll go kind of probably get back to headlines, but like the story, the, the angle of this story is the car crash and then the winning. The two are kind of inextricably linked. So that has to be in the headline. Um, yeah. Then it has to be in the lead because that's the first thing that you read, and that has to tell them exactly what the story is going to be about. And then it's also in what we call the nut paragraph, which is that's like where the 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 meat of the story is. Like if you read the lead and then the second paragraph, that should tell you everything pretty much you need to know about the story or the important details. And then everything else is kind of supplementary. Right. So it's involved in there, and then the rest of the story is about the tournament because that is just kind of the way that we convince someone who doesn't care about vgc to read about vgc so if yeah. i was writing that that same story for somebody else would not have needed to go with that angle i might have still because i do think it's newsworthy but you absolutely i could not have written that story uh and and ignored the whole car crash aspect and written that for a website like polygon or, or, yeah. or like i said pretty much anywhere i think uh, like the concept of clickbaiting has kind of gotten a bad reputation but also it's like a bit of a necessity and it's like also literally the point of a headline like the yeah. it's supposed to grab you and want you to read more or like for i guess if you're clickbaiting a video like watch more or something but like that's the goal <laughs> like yeah I, I don't like i i fully like i, I get what you're saying and I, i'm kind of just piggybacking off of like the like the original hook part because it, it like the concept of shaming someone or like an outlet or an author or whoever for like trying to get people to consume the product they've created seems weird to me <laughs> because like well, why else would they have made it if they didn't want people to see it and, well, I and think, it's not even yeah. it's not even like getting about like consuming a product it's just like telling a story 
Yeah, like, yeah. I guess it's like that. That almost makes it sound like more capitalistic than it is. Like I don't. That, get, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. Yeah, right, right. Like so, like it's just I wanted to share this story because I think it's right. an interesting story and it's remarkable. And yeah, like the goal. And just to, I have the headline now in front of me. It was Pokemon player totals car in a crash, wins tournament anyway. That mm-hmm. is literally what happened. Yeah, that is that's just the, the story. Sequence, <laughs> that is the sequence of events that happened. <laughs> If that's clickbait, I don't know what else, like, I don't know how else you write that story, like that headline, and and still communicate what this story is about, you know? Even if if it is clickbait, like, is that bad? (laughs) Right. Like, is clickbait in general a bad thing? There are situations where it is bad. I'll give you an example. The Zoe story. Uh, That was going to be my next topic, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the original headline for that story was, like, woman wins... I don't remember because we changed it. Like, I, you know, I, I talked to my editor and got it changed. But it was originally, it was like, woman wins, like, woman is first to win, like, or so-and-so, or it was like, player, no, we changed it to player becomes first woman to win regional. But it was like, very focused on the their gender. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like, not as focused on the accomplishment. And it yeah. was very much like, oh, look, a woman won an esport isn't that like isn't that novel <laughs> and uh-huh. and when that happened um you know i i and another thing to consider is i do have a part in um in picking headlines but usually that's done by the editor uh that you know they often run it by us to make sure it's okay um that zoe story i think was also written a few years ago now like three it was, it was 2017, 2017. Yeah, yeah, so it was like, you know, like two years ago now, um, and almost, maybe almost three. Um, but, so like, obviously I've learned a lot since then. And I did originally like sign off on that. But when it, I, you know, it went up and I saw it more and I started pe- people talking about it, immediately recognized, you know, that is not an okay headline. That was clickbaity. That was maybe you could say exploitative. I reached out to my editor I voiced the community's concerns. I said that I think that we could change it to this to maybe take the focus off of the gender and more about the accomplishment. And I think within a few hours, we did. We changed mm-hmm. the headline to player becomes first woman to win international you know, Pokemon tournament or something like that. Um, yeah, because I feel like that's a good story. Like in, in an age like now where like gender equality and women's rights are such an important topic, like a woman becoming or sorry a person someone becoming their first woman to win this major event in our sport is like it's cool like there's a lot of women that i think are i mean probably rightfully so like turned not turned away but like discouraged from joining our community because of you know the bad reputation that video game players have for sexism and misogyny and that kind of thing um and like i'm not going to say that's not the case within vgc i personally like to think we're pretty welcoming, but I know that there are have been multiple cases where um, some people have felt differently, and rightfully so. I'm not trying to suppress any of that, but the, the point is that like that is an accomplishment, and that is like yeah, really cool. Like we have a female that has won major tournaments, and obviously Zoe's not the only one either. Like Trista's won right. regionals before, and of, of um, course, and like and... I, I think like shining light on the fact that 
you know there are avenues for a more diverse crowd to play our game is really cool but i think that the main issue with that article was i think the like woman comes out of nowhere headline you know, yeah that's, that's what it was of course yeah. i forget that's that's the <laughs> meme right yeah this woman comes out of nowhere um yeah and and the other thing i think to consider was like once again i think people are fixating on the the headline without reading the article if you go back and read that article i you her gender is mentioned once mm-hmm. in the whole thing and then never again uh yeah. and there were maybe some other problems with that article i know that i learned that there was uh, you know i i tried to frame it as she was the first to win an international event yeah um i i learned later i think that there was a player who uh, won i think it was a german nationals and it was technically international because obviously like european regionals you'd have people coming from different countries so right. there was maybe some like question about the validity even of the statement um and it was also like the first international um it was like this or it was the second international ever so like maybe not necessarily like that was the big it wasn't like there was a long history of of women not winning it uh and yeah. i probably could have done more to mention the other women who found success in vgc so like there's always things that get done wrong but i think that people are really quick to jump on the bandwagon and uh, get upset at a thing. Um, And then it's okay to be upset and it's okay to voice your problem, but then to like continue it or to not pay attention when people go to efforts to fix it. um, It's, you know, it's like hurt. It's hurtful for me Mm -hmm. just as a person doing this because I want to share these stories for the community uh, to see the kind of conversations that I see now does wanting to share stories of the community, excuse me from doing, you know, what, what like a legitimately bad job of doing that. Absolutely not. It's not a free pass, but I don't, I don't often agree that I have done that. I did do a bad job in a lot of these places. Definitely made mistakes. Definitely always can improve, but I think that it paints an unfair picture of, of me to, you know, say that I am a bad journalist, uh, to, to especially today, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in the past, like, you know, I wasn't quite as good, but especially today, I think that that's not a fair characterization. Do you think some of that has to do with some, like, I don't really know if there's a term for this, but some kind of like outsider factor. And I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about like the places these sites are published. So like Kotaku and Polygon are the two sites we've mentioned. Those aren't VGC sites. They're more like very general journalism sites, more focused on esports and that kind of thing a lot of time. But do you think that the fact that they're posted there and not on like a community site like a Nugget Bridge or a Trainer Tower might have something to do with it? Because, you know, these sites are kind of known to have a reputation to not be the most accurate or like concerned about VGC in general. Mm-hmm. I yeah, feel like that goes I, back oh. to what Jason was saying about like the audience that you've selected. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Where like you know, and we talk about this sometimes, Jake, when um, uh, as it pertains to like casting, where it's like okay, like you know, some of the things we say might not appeal to you as a listener, but like there are also other people listening right. to, to right, the like explaining right some mechanics right. that you know might be common knowledge for like the elites, right. but not some other people that tuning in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely think that that's a component. Um, but I also think that like obviously with the zoe situation like gender like treating gender fairly is just huge in general because of how much women have had to put up with like throughout 
all of time. So like that's <laughs> I think understandable in that in that instance. Um, and I think in the more recent one, I think while the person who I hurt by including their name, even though they're a minor, which I am happy to admit, uh, not happy to admit, but I will freely admit was a mistake and one that uh, as soon as I realized it, tried to rectify it and did get it rectified. Um, I I think that there was also a personal grudge involved um, due to, and I, I, I didn't, this is, I'll be brief about this because it's not really about journalism, but I think that this player uh, had an incident on Twitter during the MPA when I was the commissioner last year, um, and we considered disciplinary action for this player, even though the tweet was not necessarily through the MPA. Uh, ultimately, I, if I recall, we decided not to do anything about it because right. the team, the team like um, managers, stepped in and kind of talked us down from that. But I also think I, I listened to. Um, what they talked about this incident on a podcast. And I think that there's some mis- misunderstanding about the nature of the punishment. I heard the word banned, you know, that that implied that like, I tried to get this person banned. And I don't even think that was ever part of the discussion. Uh, at most, I think we were talking about a one-week suspension. So I just wanted to clear that up in hopes of hopefully alleviating um, anyone's bad feelings toward anybody else. Uh, cause obviously I don't want anyone to have to be upset at anybody else, but I do think that, you know, that may have created some bad blood, which made that person not happy about anything that I would have done. Um, so yeah, so there's, there, I think that's a component. And I actually think that that fact played into, um, the reporting process, which led to the mistake in the first place, which that is mm-hmm. more about journalism. So, I mean, we can, we can talk about that if you guys want mm-hmm. to. Uh, but if there's other things too, you know. Um, so, so part of, uh, I think Jake had asked whether or not, you know, there was a difference in, in the way that, um, that articles were like perceived based on, you know, what forum they're posted to. And I guess my question that's a little bit similar to that is, is whether or not, um, you know, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier is that like esports journalism in, in particular is like kind of inextricably linked to online communities and whether or not kind of like some of the, the noise or, or response that's generated by online communities can kind of like affect the way that things are reported or, or handled. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think, I definitely think that when these esports stories, especially about smaller communities like VGC end up on these larger things, there are immediate concerns that the community is being misrepresented um, and it's especially the case when the person doing the reporting is not a member of that community because generally like they don't know the situation as well. And that's why like that's why journalists have what's called a beat uh, where they are embed themselves in the community. They like learn as much as they can about it, stay up to date. Like that's like their job is to be to know what's going on in that community. But in, you know, these general sites can't afford to assign someone to the VGC beat. So they're not going to be yeah. as knowledgeable about it but what i think people again kind of goes back to something i said is when people criticize the way sites like kotaku have covered vgc like that's always been me and i am somebody that is in the community and we also have uh you know eric at the game house now like he is a part of this community i know the um the story about 
uh, Jamar, his his incident at um, one of the internats, that was not by somebody from the community, and I right. that was not an ethical story. Like by far, yeah, that was one not was, an ethical story. That was wild. Um, yeah, that was terrible. I was I was you know very as active on Twitter as I could be, um, condemning that article. I emailed editors at other sites because I think journalists are also supposed to hold each other accountable. So I said, mm-hmm. hey, this is a story. If you want to cover it, uh, nobody decided to. Um, but I think that like, that's a good example. That story is a good example of what happens when a site, you know, when a writer from a site writes about a community that it doesn't understand, especially at a smaller site that doesn't have the kind of editorial oversight with ethics and all that, versus... The stories that I've written, which, yes, like may have problems in certain ways, but do come from a place of understanding of the community, even if it's incomplete. I wasn't here from day one, but I'd like to think that I have a fairly good, um, at least in terms of journalism, like I'm probably the journalist that has like the still working journalist that has the best understanding of the VGC community, Um, you know, not to make it a competition or anything like that but right. it just i mean like, there isn't to, much of one <laughs> if there was yeah well exactly right um so yeah i think that that definitely people understandably are protective of their community when it gets put yeah. out into in front of a lot of other people uh and that's a good thing and and it's important to be diligent but it's also important to like think about like the human person who's writing this and whether they are a member of your community or not <laughs> um and maybe like adjust the way you act based on that instead of just treating it the same as you would treat anything else. Yeah. So, so we've talked about it a couple times as it pertains to, to, um, to some of the larger articles. And I think at, at some point you had said like, nobody cares about VGC. So my, my, yeah. and, and I don't disagree with that. I think that, you know, as a whole and the way that it's kind of promoted by TPCI and this, that, and the other thing that, you know, most people don't have a reason to care about, VGC. So, can you, can you like talk a little bit more about how like the esports community at large perceives VGC, and and whether or not you're like tapped into that uh, as uh, being a writer for some of those larger sites? Yeah. So, um, the larger esports community. I mean, even like if we, you know, there's gaming which encompasses everything, and then the next tier down for a smaller size is esports, and and then obviously you have the individual communities. In the to general esports people, Pokemon is seen as kind of like a novelty or like a cute thing. Like maybe some people will watch it. Like you'll see people, um, like I want to say it was like was it Sky Williams or something like that was like talking to Aaron about like getting into VGC on Twitter uh, next season. Uh, like there's oh. so there are like some people who like Smash players who like uh, have been interested. I know like Esam watches VGC, so like there's some kind of awareness. Um, but like in these major esports, like I know, um, oh my God, Pastry Time, the caster for uh, League oh, of Legends, yeah, I know who that is. he yeah, I also, that. yeah, he also loves VGC. But that's like that's it. Most people don't know it exists, don't take it seriously. Uh, I mean, there really isn't like yes, TPCI supports it and they like put on these tournaments for us, but the amount of money invested and the size of the scene is significantly smaller than almost every other esport out there. That, yeah, you know, that, you know, I'm going to just interrupt. You know what I found out on Twitter today is hmm. that Pokemon is the most valuable franchise of all time. The most valuable right. media franchise of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I thought that was, it's like bigger than Marvel, bigger than Harry Potter, like more money than wow. all of those other franchises. So not even just interesting. like spanning all media, not just video games. Yes. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. But despite that, and that kind of plays into like how people are interested in Pokemon, but they, but like, 
Pokemon to so many people is not competitive and it's not doubles. Yeah. And it's not going to tournaments and playing, you know, playing in them. And it's certainly not the people playing like at, like they care about the Pokemon that like the uh-huh. characters. But so um, people generally also don't care about Pokemon. I have found a few places um, who do and who are willing to like give me the opportunity to share some of the stories that is the editor that is at Kotaku and is now at Polygon. Um, there was an editor at a smaller site that has since ceased operations. Probably, I mean, they just, you know, these sites get closed all the time. They were open to it. And then everywhere else that I've written at or tried to write at has shut me down, regardless mm. of how good I think the story is. Um, I think, and, and it's it's always disappointing to me because that's like, you know, that's my first eSport. That's where I'm most knowledgeable, where I think I can write the best stuff and offer the be- most insight. But like they don't like sites don't want that coverage. Like they will actively tell me no uh, when I pitch something. Um, and, you know, and that's upsetting. And even like there are even times, but the, the like the weirdest thing also about that, I guess, like, you know, larger sites being interested in Pokemon specifically for this car crash story, I didn't even pitch that story. I tweeted about it. Somebody saw it and said, hey, can you write this story for us? That sounds interesting, uh, which I doubt that's something that a lot of people know. Like, I didn't set out to write this story, even though I thought it was a good one. I was asked mm-hmm. to write it. Um, and so, like, it's real, but that's really rare. That's never happened to me. And I've been writing about and tweeting about Pokemon for, I mean, since 20, you know, like 2016 you know when i got involved um and so yeah i i think hopefully that answers your question about what esports people yeah think no i think EGC. i think you covered a, a lot of angles of the question that i asked uh, which was <laughs> good it's really really interesting I, I mean like it pretty pretty much confirms everything that i thought um you know outside of those like niche twitter interactions that i think you mentioned like the exhaustive history of mainstream esports personalities interacting with vgc players on twitter like i'm yeah. pretty sure that was it <laughs> yeah no um, there's that, yeah that, that it's pretty, very limited yeah yeah so just just a quick question about something that you had just mentioned is at some point you said that you know you know the the way that modern online journalism is at this point is that you kind of like the bigger sites the same for quantity over you know these meticulously edited you know articles that go on to paper print and stuff like that so why wouldn't some of these bigger sites be more willing to take a flyer on you know an article about competitive pokemon given you know the name recognition of of um of the franchise and and the general perception i think you know in general you know pokemon is is a positively perceived game and and franchise i don't understand like why necessarily they wouldn't be willing to just be like oh okay somebody hasn't already written an article about this game let's just publish it well for the esports people there's not like there's not enough uh respect like for mm-hmm. the integrity of the game itself is my, like the feeling that I get. Like people don't respect VGC as a game. Uh, they don't think it's like competitive enough. It's not like watched enough. And especially those smaller, like most esports sites don't have the money to really mm-hmm. pay someone to write about that. Like that, those are the sites okay. that are not paying yeah, that super sense. well. Uh, the, like the only sites that I think pay fairly well, like you have ESPN esports, they pay obviously great um, because it's ESPN. They got Disney money. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got like Dot esports. Um, and like a few others that are like of that size. And then everyone else is like, like Dexerto, but even they, I, from my understanding, I think, you know, like freelance stories, um, is like, you know, 
20 bucks, maybe more. I don't that I can't I don't know the exact numbers. I've never written for Dixerto, but like they definitely are one of the larger of that kind of tier of esports journalism. Um and they don't have a whole lot of money uh and and don't aren't looking to pay for a game that like ultimately pulls in like you know, maybe we get like 20,000 people at Worlds, like Worlds finals, but the rest of the time we're rocking like you know, like at regionals, like not even a thousand, you know, like on average, our numbers are mm. terrible, like relative to like many, many other esports. So that's that. Then at um, at the general gaming sites, it's a matter of an inaccessibility. You cannot, the Pokemon, and this is a problem with VGC in general, but the Pokemon that 99% of people experience is the game, single player game, single battles, like going through, getting gym badges, fighting the elite four. Mm-hmm. And VGC is so alien to that, you know, like maybe you get into a couple random double battles or there's one gym that does double battles, but no point in the game ever teaches you how to play VGC. So all the people who engage with Pokemon don't understand it. And like mm-hmm. they open it up and it's so counter to their experience that more often than not, they're not like, oh, this is intriguing. They're like, oh, this isn't my Pokemon. And then they'll just not read it or they like will like leave it very fast. And like, yeah, clicks matter, but there is a thing called bounce rate, which we look at and like how it's obviously like how long they read the article. Uh, and that's definitely something that that like people consider when they are picking like an editorial direction. So like it's, you know, we're we're not hardcore enough for the esports people, but we're too hardcore for the game for the general gaming sites. Um, and that's generally why, yeah, like why, why that doesn't work out. That's a good point. Cause like uh, you kind of touched on this earlier too, but the, the Pokemon that we play in BGC is so much different than one, the Pokemon you play in the normal games. If you're just like casually playing through them. Uh, but then also it's very different from other esports too. Like most other esports are, I'm trying to think of one that's not, but I think most are all like, like real time, like either MOBAs or like fighting games. I mean, and yeah, VGC is closest to like a card game, like Hearthstone right. or, or yeah. Magic the Gathering. Like it's it's obviously very turn based, and there's not much like constant action. It's it's these very it's these little spurts of actions that you know happen, and then there's a break, and then there's more action, there's a break, uh, and so it's it's very different in like structure as a game, and I think the community is also kind of different in structure too because it's so split between online and in person. Like there are ways to be constantly playing online and ways to be constantly playing in person and if you don't really want to do one you don't have to and that kind of causes a not a lot of not much of a split because like obviously people still talk uh in between these different events but a lot of people that either haven't had the opportunity to go to tournaments uh or maybe haven't broken through at live tournaments sometimes are kind of left out of the conversation when we're talking about like vgc and its players and tournaments and stuff too yeah uh 100 percent I think that definitely exists. And I also think that there's like an age, like not problem, but like, I think the age is the fact, like is uh, one of the things that kind of alienates the community from Don't others. Don't you know you're that, playing a children's game? Well, that, but like we say that, but if you think about it, like relative to many other esports, because there's not enough, like a lot of money in it. And it's, mm-hmm. it is very expensive to take, to play seriously most of the older players eventually just kind of stop and maybe they like engage a little bit or they like ramp it way down. So the main people who are playing this esport are 
very or like even casually like not going to tournaments are like really young people uh, right and like so the audience skews much younger than i think a lot of esports and it's like only a difference of a few years um but like having an audience that's like more 16 to 18 than it is like 20 you know 20 to 23 that's like a huge difference in terms of um in just like maturity and like right. ability to like work toward like creating things in a community like i don't want to discredit any of the work that anyone has done for the pokemon community um at, you know as a younger person or anyone's like contributions like just talking about the community just because they're young like you can be young and still be a good active member of the community but like it does change the landscape of it and i think that that's something that uh, is very different. It's a landscape that's very different from a lot of other esports that that reach yeah. a much wider audience uh, that includes a lot more older people. All right. Well, very interesting conversations and uh, some really fun stuff we talked about, as well as some more serious stuff. So, kind of a new thing for us. We're hitting these, you know. <laughs> we pulled yeah. back the curtain a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not actually, all just fun and games here. We, we do some. We do some heavy hitting here at Soundproof. Before we move on the real quick, because I get the sense that's what's happening, there is one last thing that I did want to clear up um, in regards to the car crash story, if that's cool. Yeah, by all means. So there was talk that, and I don't know where this came from, um, and wherever it came from, it's fine. Like, I'm not upset about it. But there was also the understanding that there seemed to be this idea that I was going to write the story if, even if I didn't talk to anybody. Um, because that's just what journalists do, right? Like they'll just like go and they'll just write the story anyway. But in reality, if I had not been able to talk to either of them, I would not have been able to write the story. Uh, in fact, even after talking to Kyle, we almost didn't run the story because we had to confirm that the car crash even happened. I called three different police precincts while I was waiting, while Kyle, I think, was probably sleeping because of how little sleep he'd gotten. <laughs> but I was waiting to get, I wanted a copy of the, incident report so that there was proof that this happened not that i doubted him but that's just your due diligence mm -hmm. and so while i was waiting for that i called three different police departments trying to get proof that this happened and we were going to kill the story if we didn't get that from kyle and we did end up getting it so obviously it ran um but yeah like yeah maybe a younger me would have tried to find a way to write the story without talking to anybody but at least the me i am today uh would not have done that uh, because you can't write a story about someone being in a car crash and then winning a tournament without talking to the person who did that. And that goes for most stories. Like it's, it's not usually good journalism when you don't talk to somebody um, mm -hmm. like firsthand talk to somebody. So I just wanted to clear that up. Like, and, and that's not also an excuse like that. I'm not illuminating that fact so that people realize like, Oh, if I don't talk to Jason, he just won't write about the story that, you know, we like that, that we don't want him to write about. Um, you should write, you want to talk because, and I think Kyle said this on, on the podcast on cleaning scales, he wanted to make sure that I got the story right. That's why I want to talk to him to make sure that I get the story right too. So yeah. it's like, it's a mutual partnership. Uh, when, when journalists are writing stories, we want to talk to you to make sure that we represent what happened accurately. Uh, and yes, I like maybe in, in many cases, like some cases, there could be stories where I can't write it if I don't talk to the person who it happened to directly. But as long as I talk to somebody, like I can, I can find there are other angles, other ways to talk about it. You know, like in this case, couldn't, couldn't hear from Kyle's friend. So I went to Kyle. Um, and like, that's an example. Like there are always people related to the story that you can talk to. So unfortunately, 
shutting me out, like that it won't probably work. Uh, but I'm also not going to report a story that doesn't actually have people who are knowledgeable of the subject talking to me about it. So just want to bring that up. Now on to the fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So yeah, so, uh, we uh, tend to play a game here if, if you've listened to, to the podcast. So we have uh, a game prepared. And, and just to kind of like caveat this, we are here on uh, Soundproof trying to get rid of the negative connotation of the word clickbait because it is okay. not inherently a bad thing. <laughs> it kind of has this like impression in the community that's like, oh, top 10 like top 10 worst things Jake Muller has ever said in his life. And you know, that doesn't sound so good, but they've all know, been in the last hour, by the way, on the something, podcast. something to like nice. garner clicks is not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm sure Jason will tell you the same thing. So, uh, assuming that clickbait is now no longer a, 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 a term with negative connotation, uh, Jake and I have kind of picked out like a couple of different events, uh, that have happened in VGC history. And we would like you Jason to write a headline for these events. <laughs> sure. All right. right. So the first one I think was the one that immediately came to my head uh, was, did you watch the 2016 worlds? Did you watch that? Yeah. Oh event? yeah, of course. Okay. I remember where I was sitting on my grandma's couch in Chicago <laughs> for her 90 something birthday. Uh, and I remember I, worlds? did you, <laughs> yeah. Did you watch top four? <laughs> did you watch top four? The day yes. Before? I watched top four. So in top four, when Marcus sludge bombed his own Raichu, right. this is the event we would like you to clickbait. To clickbait? Okay, wait. So am I doing this like, uh, okay. Um, I mean, okay, am I writing this for, what audience am I writing this for? <laughs> oh my God. The, 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 wider, the wider gaming community. Okay, sure. I'm writing this for. You're running it for Polygon. Kotaku.com, Polygon, yeah. sure. Um God, it would probably be something like uh, Pokemon player possibly throws to friend in top four of world championships. <laughs> so that is definitely um, the angle you would take. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you would have to consider it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of discussion about the competitive like viability of that option. Um, so, yes, that's probably the angle that I would take. Or you'd probably, or you could do something like, "Oops, what hap- Here's what happens when you sludge bomb your own Raichu. <laughs> you, you, you lose worlds." Also, I'd love to just start a story, a headline with "Oops." With "Oops," that would be yeah. that would be kind of that's the kind of headline I would write. Like, Whoops! Yeah. <laughs> a finger slip. Um, okay, how about um, uh, Pachirisu winning a world championship? Oh. Um... God, if I'm getting really like memey with it, it'd be something like, like little rodent, like little, like little rat Pokemon, not Pikachu, <laughs> like wins, like wins world champion Pokemon world championships. Small electric um, mouse that starts with P and ends with U, but is not Pikachu. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little long. You maybe put that in the sub- it's too in long, Jake. You idiot. Oh, yeah. This is why I'm not yeah. a print uh, Arthur. Even, I'm stick even to, what stick I to said audio. was probably even what I said was probably too long. Um, but yeah, something like that. I would want to work in a, like the idea that like he did it against a Garchomp. That seems relevant to me as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, but. And everyone knows Garchomp. Right. Everybody knows Garchomp. Garchomp's one of those Pokemon everybody knows. Because everybody loves Cynthia. 
My mom, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She featured prominent. <laughs> she featured prominently in a in a Kotaku article. That was I think that. I remember That's that. True. Actually. She that was, was, that she was, was the, the image Zoe for it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, that's another problem. We don't have photographers at events, so we don't have good photos. Oh, so yeah. We have to do stuff like that. But mm. that's another issue. Can we get Doug on Polygon staff? Yeah. Oh my god. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, we have one final one, and this is not entirely self-serving at all. I just want to. Uh, <laughs> I want to state that before I mention the event. Uh, but a certain someone that may or may not be in this call winning the largest online tournament at the time in the in the form of the Nega Bridge Major in 2015. Right. So for that, it'd probably be something like... It'd probably be something like... Keep in mind, you have all of the major puns available to you. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of major puns because of Major Bowman. Um, but it'd probably be something like Pokemon player wins like unofficial tournament that's bigger than most real tournaments or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, that's that's a you'd good probably, that's a good point. You'd, you'd probably do something like that. Uh yeah. because like <laughs> I remember that Nugget Bridge major was huge. Um yeah, so that's okay. In the article mm-hmm. I would have talked about potentially questionable the qu- potentially questionable nature of the competitive integrity due to it being an online <laughs> tournament. Um, <laughs> not to imply I also that you was had on anything. staff for that tournament. So oh yeah, that's also you could a bring that up as well for sure. <laughs> and who was aggressively counter teaming? Where did he get yeah. the information? Very much so, and I I kind of got bailed <laughs> out in top four because my opponent was like hella cheating too. So there's plenty oh, of things you could talk about. Oh, that's yeah. right. That was the, the that's the, five the, moon full corona. Game. Oh my oh, god. Okay, so then it would probably it would probably be like Pokemon player wins unofficial tournament with major problems. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very attacked. Yeah, well. I'm gonna write that up in the uh, it's al- in the it's always sunny uh, episode like yeah uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, yeah and I want you to make it your Twitter header Jake <laughs> yeah that's I can I can never replace uh, Old Town Road Kyogre though like I can't. Oh, okay that's fair yeah that was, that's a good picture <laughs> yeah. okay so I believe this brings us to the part of the show where Jason brings us his question he uses his uh, vast journalism experience to ask us the the tough questions now. Oh yeah, right. I know. I was. This is the other thing that I wasn't as prepared for as I thought. I wanted to keep it about journalism, but we talked about it a lot. So I guess it's just like, what, what do, you, what do you guys think people want out of journalism? Like, do they want? Oh, and this is something oh, we're gonna go real back to the serious stuff real quick. The other thing that people I think don't understand is that they don't like for, journalism isn't a tool to grow a game. It is a telling the, a story of and like true facts about things that happen. So like, what do you think people want out of like? VGC journalism. Do they just want something that's going to advance the cause and not really going to represent things as the way it is? Or do they actually, yeah, like, I don't know. What do they want? Do they want people to know about VGC? Do they not? Is it only under very narrow circumstances? I'm trying Mm -hmm. to understand. I think my first thought is just representation. Like, like, VGC, as we've all mentioned, isn't really like a front runner esport. And it's not meant to be, and I don't think it ever will be. Um, but like when the only articles we're getting on these bigger sites uh, usually end up in controversy, like I think at that point people well, are just like, well, occasionally end up in controversy, but I only know. exclusively everything you write is no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. That, like the, fr- just the f- first thought off the top of my head would be like more accurate representation because these articles don't come out very often, you know, focused on VGC and you know, I don't know how much of that is, warranted 
or how much of a desire for representation is warranted just because I'm not sure that we entirely deserve it. Um, that's, 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 <laughs> but, a, that's a different I mean, conversation. That's a valid yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's a valid, it's a valid question. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that you, I think you both touch on like most of the major points that I would have thought of. And I think Jake's is kind of like a little bit more, you know, far reaching. And then a lot of the, the points that you mentioned, Jason kind of like fall under Jake's umbrellas that like, nobody wants VGC to necessarily be like hidden from the world, but I think that, and it's tough. And we've kind of had this conversation as, as it pertains to some of the things that we talk about in casting too, is that like some of the things that VGC players would find interesting and think that are like super noteworthy and very interesting, obviously don't apply to the wider gaming community. So it's kind of like this tough sort of situation where, you know, some of the things like, you know, a lot of people in our community, would read an article about how Wolf 1 is 19th regional, right? Like, that's something that we think is relevant and is, like, a super noteworthy accomplishment. But if you were to pitch that to the wider community, obviously, it's not not so interesting. Um, So I think, you know, that sort of thing being appealing to the larger esports or gaming community is what VGC players really want. Like, we would love to have an article that talks about, you know you know, somebody that the community really loves win their first regional. But if the the person that, you know, the community really loves is a high schooler that, you know, goes to high school and, and, and like, obviously that's not an interesting article. Would it be cool for us to have that representation? Yes. But like we've kind of talked about over the course of this uh, episode here, like it's not, it's not newsworthy. Yeah. Right. Well, there you go. That's my, my, Top tier reporter questioning. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. That brings us to our very last segment. My favorite. Well, maybe not my favorite, but. It's your know. favorite. Don't yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our guests are cool and all, but I like music a lot better. Uh, but our music segment uh, this week, this two weeks, this time, mm-hmm. this period, this whenever you're listening to this, uh, I recommend that you go listen to an EP by Foster the People called Pick You Up. It has four songs on it. They're all really good. Uh, they're all they're four most recent songs. Uh, hopefully, there's more coming down the pipeline. But uh, it's just a it's an EP called "Pick You Up." It's by Foster the People of Pumped Up Kicks fame. I was gonna say I was under the impression that Pumped Up Kicks is the only Foster the People song. It like it is, but there's a few more. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, good to know. I was I was unaware. <laughs> um, actually, "Sit Next to Me" is a song that I like. That whole album is pretty. That's good, on but... that. No, it's not. That's from Sacred Hearts Club. Not yeah, a good album, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. will say. Um, so I apologize to everybody that's tired of me talking about things that are of and pertaining to punk, but the kick continues. We're, we're going at, what, four episodes now where I've just been kind of like spewing punk artists. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the artist that I'm talking about this week is called Simple Creatures, which is a side project by Mark Hoppus of Blink-182 and Alex Gaskars of, of All Time Low, which are like, you know, pop punk mainstays, obviously. And they just like got together and, and made an album. It's called everything opposite and it's like good it's interesting because it's not really like either of their projects it kind of like departs so it gives me a lot to think about <laughs> <laughs> all right is it my turn then it is go for it all right so this is going to be a real weird one because i tried to think of something more mainstream um that well, i wanted like to well it's 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 just out there so one of the things i did theater in high school uh and so me i'm going to recommend a musical Oh my god! Um, it's my favorite so musical. It is. The, I can't wait. It's it, the Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the oh. gothic musical. 
huh. I think it's incredible. Uh, but the problem is, it's very hard to find the actually good version of the soundtrack. We're looking <laughs> for the one with Anthony Warlow, um, because there is a version out there that has David Hasselhoff as Jekyll and Hyde, and that's terrible. Oh. I- I oh want to listen to that version. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear the Hoff's dulcet tones. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, that is an option, but there's a much better option. It's the Anthony Warlow version. Uh, it's great. I feel like it might have been on Spotify, or maybe that was just Spotify pulling it off of my computer. I don't really know. <laughs> Y'all are free to investigate. But it's a very good album. If you like like Sweeney Todd type stuff, like mm-hmm. it's right up that same alley, like dark, tragic. Um, very good. Very good story. Fun. Yeah, so that's why I roommate got. would like that. Tell him to listen to the podcast. <laughs> that was perfect. Even more reason to. Yeah, there you go. Everybody listen to Soundproof. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's going to wrap up our segment here with Jason. Jake, uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Um, as Jake mentioned, I think we we kind of like pulled back the curtain and touched on a lot of things. We got a different perspective, definitely that you know some people might not consider when they you know think about the way that. BGC is is portrayed in in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, thanks for coming on. Um, if anybody has anything that you know questions for us or for Jason, feel free to find us on Twitter. Um, all of our handles are there, and Jason's will be obviously in this week's uh, tweet when the episode goes up. So definitely look uh, to that. I'm sure he would welcome your feedback. Um, yes, gladly. As, as, yeah, as, as you've, I think, put in Twitter before. I'm sorry, I just volunteered your DMs without asking <laughs> no, you first. That's, but that's, like, that's, I'm happy everyone to DM Jason as soon this. as you listen to them. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for episode 10 of Soundproof. Thanks so much for listening, and Jake and I will be right back in just a few seconds to wrap it up. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I had a nice, you know, hour respite from my cold, uh, and now it has unfortunately come back with a vengeance. It's a violent return. <laughs> I had a brief time when I was not leaking from various orifices, but now it's back. Um, so F's in the chat. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks for coming by for episode 10 of Soundproof. Um, Jake and I were really happy to have a chance to get to talk to Jason about some of the things that um, you know, had come up, come up uh, over in in the community over the the course of the last couple weeks. Um, yeah. So now we kind of you know hopefully have provided multiple uh, new viewpoints for you to consider when you're approaching some of these things. And you know, I think you know Jason was a really good person to talk to about that. He's in journalism school. Um, you know, can kind of speak from the inside of what's going on there. So we're definitely happy to have him on. Yep, thanks to Jason for joining us. It was kind of a departure from like the strictly competitive discussion about VGC that we've had for most of our episodes, but still a very relevant topic that I think all of us could learn a bit more about. So Definitely. Really happy we got to talk about it. Really happy that you guys are sticking around and listening to us. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter at SoundproofCast or our personal Twitters, uh, MrBDog46 and... Nope. Is it, you have a VGC? You yeah, have it's a VGC. VGC I, I oh, own the other gross. account, but it's, it's, don't follow that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MrVDog46, VGC, or Major Bowman underscore. Uh, talk to us. Tell us what you want to hear. 
uh, tell us if there's any last things you want us to cover as far as Ultra Series goes. We do have just a couple weeks left of it. Uh, we do have a kind of fun end-of-gen idea that I'm really excited to flesh out and get to you guys, so be looking for that probably in December uh, as that Ultra Series comes to a close. But uh, for now, thanks for listening, and we will see you all next time. And enjoy Sword and Shield! We won't Yay! Stop you oh guys yeah, it's coming out soon! Like, oh my oh, gosh! I'm so excited! Go now, uh, okay. so you can have your keychain plush. Um, and <laughs> enjoy Sword and Shield, and we'll see you on the flip side yep. when everybody is no longer spoiler-free. <laughs> Bye! See ya!